Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is early in the morning on a Wednesday, and I am super excited about this day. Going to get to see a lot of patients in the office. I'm going to get some writing done. I'm doing some recording, and I just, I'm excited about whatever today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Listen, I had an unbelievable interview yesterday. I did a podcast with a guy named Kevin Miller. He's a former pro cyclist, and he works for the Zig Ziglar organization runs a podcast that has 400,000 downloads a month. He has had some incredible guests, New York Times bestselling writers, Simon Sinek, Dan Harris, um, Patrick Lencioni, everybody you can think of that's written a lot of the books that I've recommended to you over the years, Arthur Brooks, just incredible, just an incredible list of guests that have been on his show, John Acuff and, and many others. And Kevin and I first met when he read I've Seen the Interview a few years ago and had me on his show back then. The Zig Ziglar podcast, you know, just hundreds of thousands of people listening every month. And I was so honored that he that he came on the show or that he had me on his show. And then recently he reached out and said, hey, I got an advanced copy of your new book, Hope is the First Dose. It's blowing my mind. I want to have you back on the show. And so he does a very unique format for his podcast. It's a three-hour interview. So we spent three and a half, almost four hours yesterday on Zoom with some interruptions from Harvey and Lewis, I have to be honest. (laughs) They went nuts a couple of times. And it, it was just amazing. We had this deep, deep conversation. And he doesn't just talk about your book, but he took extensive notes from Hope is the First Dose. We went a deep dive on grief and trauma and recovery and brain self-brain surgery and all these things. It's a tremendous recording or a tremendous conversation. But the other thing he does, after that part one conversation, he does another episode that's really a deep dive into you, who you are. So serious questions about your life and, and, and your values and your spirituality and your work and your views on money and fitness and health and all these things. So we have a, a conversation about the book and themes from the book. And then we have a conversation that's really about me and the way I see the world. And then we do some Q and A's and we should, it was just a really cool, long, deep conversation. And I, and I miss those, you know, it's, I think since COVID really, We've we've detached a little bit from having deep and meaningful conversations. Everything became Zoom, everything became remote. Even with publishing right now, like the the difference between how we're experiencing this book and my last one is the last book we were invited out to Waterbrook in Colorado Springs. We had a team meeting with everybody whose hands were involved in that book, from the person who designed the cover to the publicist and the marketing people and the editors, teleconference with all the executives from Penguin Random House in New York, and this whole big team of people, even the printers and everybody involved in the book, heard me give a talk about what the ideas were and why the book mattered, and they were all on this big journey together. And this time, the people are equally enthusiastic, but nobody's in the office anymore. They've they've spread their workforce out across the country, and it's all remote. So every encounter we've had with everybody related to the book has been via Zoom or teleconference or Microsoft Teams or on the phone or via email. And it just doesn't have that same level of of personal connection, right? Now we have incredible personal connections with Susan Jaden, my editor, and Kathy Helmer's my agent, and Bev Reichert and Jeannie Kastner Keene, the publicists, and all that we have great relationships with those people. And Ngazi, who the the marketing person, it's just just an incredible group of people, but it's it's different. It's not face to face. And so when I had this conversation with Kevin yesterday, 
and we were talking just in great detail and in super depth and there was like no time limit and it was just great and it reminded me of some of the great conversations I've had with Lisa over the years of just we go down these deep deep rabbit holes of, of intellectual thought and, and honest emotional communication and I hope that you have some of that and I'm just I'm just throwing a challenge out there find somebody in your life that you can have a real conversation with and let's get past this superficial business that our separated post-pandemic world has given us and you'll find some meaning and some value in having those kinds of conversations again take somebody out for a cup of coffee go for a walk with your spouse do something to just have a real connection and conversation i think it'll matter and i can't wait to share that interview with you in a few weeks when it comes out and equally excited that he's going to be on my podcast on friday kevin's coming on to talk about his new book what drives you and i can just tell you right now in the in the genre of motivational self-help book I have never read a single chapter of a book about personal development that moved me more and aimed me more towards a, a better a betterment of myself than the first chapter of Kevin's book, What Drives You. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of how good this book is. It's incredible. And one of the lines that stood out to me is he was saying, if you want to change your life, if you want tomorrow to be different than today you got to get rid of one big misperception and the misperception is this i'm just going to give you a teaser and i'm not reading i'm quoting because i don't have it in front of me right now but the line is this everybody thinks because we've watched so many movies where something comes along and some big devastating thing or some big incredible thing happens and the hero has to step up and make a big change to save the day we all think that that's what is required to make major life change that we have to have some big shattering event or some radioactive spider bite or something happen to change our lives. But the truth is, if you study people who have been successful, and my one of my favorite books has always been Brendan Burchard's um, book, High Performance Habits, and he does the same thing. He interviewed all these high-performing people, athletes, CEOs, you know, investment bankers, all these people who have been remarkably successful, and he found this this series of things that they had in common. And one thing Kevin Miller said is that the big thing that really successful people or normal people who have had major changes in the way their life was playing out, and that's where it's relevant for you and me, people who were alcoholics who came over it or people who had broken families who found love and and built a successful family, people who had, you know, addictions or bad habits or, or things that were going on in their lives that had major transformation, one thing they all have in common is they realize This is the line that I just, I can't get out of my head this morning. We have to stop waiting for it to happen to us, whatever it is that you think you need in your life. We have to stop waiting for it to happen to us, and we have to happen to it. Let that hit you, friend. We have to stop waiting for it to happen to us. We have to happen to it. We have to get after it. We have to be self-brain surgeons. We have to stop conforming to the way our life is playing out and transform our minds. We have to change our minds if we want to change our life. Well, you got to happen to it if you want it to change. Okay? This is a long preamble that's slightly tangential to the episode I want to have with you this morning. But I'm so psyched about having Kevin back on the show, and I think it's going to really help you. That book, What Drives You, is is really unbelievable, and I can't wait to share it with you in a few days. Okay, all that said, I got an email a couple of days ago from a reader named Julie Edels. And Julie, I don't know where you live, but I really appreciate this email that you sent me. And I'm going to shout out Julie for saying this. A few months ago, 
we had a reader, listener who wrote in and said, hey, I love the content inside the paid content library, and I love it so much that I want to donate a couple of subscriptions for other people. And And this person made a very generous a donation, enough to pay for six months of paid subscriptions for two other people. And Julie was one of those people that received that scholarship, if you will, the free access to the paid subscriber content. And she's been an avid listener, reader, and she you know, comments a lot and, and writes in. But she wrote this unbelievable email, and I want to share it with you now. But before I do that, I want to give you one announcement about something that's exciting. Substack has come out with what they call a referral program. And it reminded me of Julie receiving this free subscription, and it really helped her turn into a, a more avid user of the, of the product and, and all the, the consumer of the content that I create. And... Substack has created this thing where if you refer friends to my free self-brain surgery newsletter, every so many referrals that you make, you get access to all the paid content for a certain amount of time. And so I think it's – I'll put a link in the show notes, but I think it's three referrals get you a month and six referrals get you two months and 25 referrals get you six months or something like that. So basically if you send my letter – my Substack information to a friend and say, hey, this is really valuable to me and it really helps me in my life. And they sign up and I get their email address and they start becoming a subscriber, not a paid subscriber, just if they just sign up for free, then you get access to all the paid content. So for reference, there's about 800 episodes on there. Anything over than older than 60 days gets automatically archived into the paid content. There's stuff that's just for the paid subscribers. So last week I did a video update for them. It's about 15 minutes long. We had a good conversation that you can't see unless you're one of the paid subscribers. Most of my blogs, my old stuff from campaign, from Active Campaign and MailChimp and all that stuff when I used to write on those platforms, all that stuff is slowly coming online as I have time. There's going to be lots more stuff related to Hope is the First Dose that's only for paid subscribers. And I just want you to have massive value. But some people say, hey, 10 bucks a month is a lot for me. And I understand that. And that's why I've always said if somebody writes in and says, hey, I really can't afford it, I frequently say, okay, that's fine. I'll give it to you for free. There's numerous subscribers that I've comped and given free subscriptions to. But but the bottom line is I can't grow and I can't add stuff. There's a new software called Riverside that I'm entertaining, adding this video conferencing, and it's going to enhance what we can do with um, group group contacts and having these video chats like we used to have back in the COVID days and all of that. But it's it's fairly expensive. So I'm not going to add those services unless I have paid subscribers come alongside me and say, yes, we want this. Yes, it's valuable. Yes, it adds value. Yes, we want to help you do this thing. So I need more paid subscribers, basically. So I understand that $10 a month is a big deal for a lot of people. So if you want some of that access, you can have it if you're just willing to do a little bit of work to help me spread the word of how valuable you think this contact content is. So if you share it with your friends, you can have free months uh, of subscriber access to all that paid stuff just for the, the good deed of sharing good work that's helping you with your friends. And it's not going to cost them anything because you're asking them to sign up for free. And some of those people will go on to become paid subscribers, and that will grow the grow the program and grow the, the value over time. Here's why it really matters, okay? I need more subscribers in order to spread the word about my book and my message and the way that we can help people around the world with self-brain surgery. I need to help people change their minds so they can change their lives. And you've got a network of people in your life who you know this would be helpful for. 
And I just would love it if you would share it with them. Okay, long. it sounds like a commercial. Let me get back to Julie's email. Here's what Julie said. Julie said, I was having a low day, feeling guilty for another sugar binge, and I was thinking how nice it would be if you had a tomorrow tax episode easily available right there at the top for when you're right in the middle of paying that tax. Uh, let's get you cleaned up and moving forward again type of episode. You did just X, Y, Z, and it's over. It's time to forgive yourself and move on, but of course with your caring nature and gift of words to encourage and lead us back. That led me to what I thought was an even better idea, an emergency dose, EpiPen, a massive thing has just happened episode, easy to access like a pen at the top of Substack, easy to forward to loved ones, no need to search for the perfect episode. Listen, Julie, that's a great idea. The problem with Substack, one of the only problems with Substack is it doesn't have keyword access. Back when I was on Podbean and others, you can put keywords in, and if somebody searches for like Dr. Lee Warren on anxiety, they can find all the episodes that have something to do with anxiety. Or you could search for hope, or you could search for grief, or whatever. And with Substack, it's not as easy to do that. The word has to actually be in the title of the episode. And that's one of the reasons why you'll see so many of my episodes that have the word hope in them leading up to and following book launch because if people are searching for hope i want them to find those episodes okay so because substack doesn't archive and index that way i am going to create a series of kind of these emergency dose episodes i used to call them trauma rounds and we do these outpatient surgery episodes that are kind of quick ideas on one specific thing that you just need to hit right now and julie i'm going to create you an EpiPen article one of those what do you do right now when the massive thing happens what do you do first and today we're going to talk about that tomorrow tax idea lisa and i have a a concept we call the tomorrow tax, and it's when you today are paying for something you did yesterday. You drank too much, you ate the wrong stuff, you don't feel good, you, you made a bad decision, you spent too much money, and today you're like, holy cow, now I have to deal with all the stuff I was trying not to feel yesterday, and the situation is still there that I was trying not to feel, and I'm paying that tax all day long. And you know exactly what I'm saying. If you ever had too much to drink, you've had a, a night where you, you were gluttonous and you ate too much and you feel horrible the next day, or you sent a rash of text messages when you were too tired and you shouldn't have, and now today you got to go clean that up with your friend or your spouse or your boss or whoever. And that's a tomorrow tax. So you're paying something tomorrow for something you did today. And I've come up with this phrase, and we actually have a T-shirt you're going to be able to get pretty soon that says, Love Tomorrow More. Like I want you to love the promise and the hope of tomorrow more than you need to satisfy something or not feel something or to turn something off or to scratch some sort of itch today. I want you to love tomorrow more, okay? Love tomorrow more than this transient temporary feeling that you have right now that if you if you deal with it in the wrong way, you're going to pay that tomorrow tax. So we're going to talk about that today because of Julie's email. And long preamble, 15 minutes. I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling this morning, but I just have so much I want to tell you. And we're going to get after it in just a minute because I want you to have a plan. I want you to have something to put in your heart and in your head when you're paying that tomorrow tax, when you forgot that you need to love tomorrow more. I want you to have an idea of what to do, and we're going to get after it because you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. 
you can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Okay, so Julie talked about an emergency episode. Like like you, you wake up and you realize that you didn't do the right stuff yesterday you got a headache you don't feel good now and you know you, you're paying this tomorrow tax and it can be anything it doesn't have to be a sin it doesn't have to be that you you know drank 25 bottles of gin and you're passed out and you're in acute liver failure and you're in the icu it doesn't have to be that it can just be that you made a decision or failed to make a decision or or did or didn't do something that's going to cost you some issues today Okay, in the work environment, for example, it can be you didn't respond to an email that your boss expected you to respond to, and today you're going to be in his office or her office getting yelled at and having to file a report and be being behind on today's work because you didn't get something done yesterday. That's a tomorrow tax, okay? It's also a tomorrow tax if you spend the night with the wrong person and you wreck your marriage, and now you the next day you are dealing with that and you're having to try to save your relationship and you're paying a tax for the rest of your life because you you didn't do the right thing in regards to your fidelity. It's a tomorrow tax. If you have a couple of drinks and you get a DUI and now you've got a possible felony conviction that you're going to have to carry around for the rest of your life because you made a bad decision, that's a tomorrow tax, okay? But it's also a tomorrow tax. If you spent too much money, you were feeling bad about the fact that you lost your child a few years ago and you were just kind of assuaging your your grief by shopping and clicking and ordering and buying too many things and you wake up the next day and you say, holy cow, I bought all this junk that I don't need and I may have a little trouble paying my car payment next month. That's a tomorrow tax, okay? It doesn't have to be the massive thing, the DUI, the affair, that you murdered somebody. It doesn't have to be that you got you sent off an angry email and got fired and now you're out of a job. It can be these simple little things, okay? I'll give you an example from my life. I yesterday did that long interview and I've been I've been experimenting with fasting and praying, trying to spend more time in a fasting and prayerful mindset. And I, I did a, a 36-hour fast the other day, and, and, and then I did yesterday a 24-hour fast, and at my 24 hours was up around 7 p.m., and I'd spent all afternoon on this interview. And, and again, I'm not saying that about fasting to say, look at me, I'm fasting. I'm telling you that I'm experimenting with it. Lisa and I both are experimenting with it as a way to test out the promises that the Bible makes about fasting and also to test out the biochemistry and the food relationships that we have related to fasting. So it's it's partly spiritual and it's partly experiential, experimental about what it's going to do for our brains. Our listener, our cousin Will McDonald asked me if I would consider doing an episode on 
the neuroscience of fasting and what it does to your brain. And I thought in order to do that, I need to do some experiments with my own body chemistry and my own spiritual life and see how that works. And so that's just a work in progress. And pray for me and pray for Lisa as we gather that data by studying ourselves. So here's a good example. I did that fast. I was coming off 24 hours of fasting, and I was hungry. And I did all this interview all afternoon. And Lisa's been out of town for almost a week, her and Tata are in San Antonio. And when she's out of town, my life gets very small. Okay, I talk to you, I create, I try to write and get way ahead, I take care of the dogs, I go to work, operate, go to to clinic, come home, write, work, maybe slip out and catch a fish after the dogs go to bed, and pretty much a small world. And sometimes I forget to do things like go to the grocery store. Unfortunately, I have an incredible wife, and she cooked way ahead and had all kinds of good things for me to eat, and I ate them all. (laughs) So yesterday... Uh, the day before yesterday, actually, I'd done a 36-hour fast. I had a bunch of um, interviews and different things to do in the, in the afternoon, a bunch of writing. I'm, I'm writing some articles for Crossway and Psychology Today and all this stuff to support the book launch. And so I get to the evening of a 36-hour fast, and I'm hungry, and the dogs are tie, tying me up, and it's just kind of hectic. And so what did I do? I ordered a pizza, okay? So I had a couple pieces of pizza. I think it was Sunday night. Yeah, Sunday night. And... The next day, I just felt awful. I didn't feel good because all that garbage that's in the pizza, right? Well, then how soon you forget. So I did this other 24-hour fast. It's two days later now, and I spent all afternoon on the computer. I get the dogs to bed, and, and you know, like I deal with some phone calls and some stuff from the hospital, and I just realize I'm kind of hungry, and I open the fridge, and literally I've eaten everything Lisa left Everything Lisa made, it's all gone. And the only thing in the refrigerator that's easy access is that leftover pizza. And so what did I do? I ate it again. And this morning, guess what? My wedding ring is tight. Why? Because there's all kinds of sodium and chemicals and garbage in that food. And and my wedding ring is tight. And I had a headache that I know is because of some of the junk that's in that food. One thing that happens when you start stripping away stuff and you stop eating all the, the garbage that you've been eating and you start trying to lean down on sugar and all the all that stuff that we'll talk about in detail on the biochemistry side later but when you start doing that you can start actually realizing what your food choices make you feel like one of the things is if we always do everything a certain way we always have a glass of wine we always have a piece of pizza we always have dessert after we eat something we always add you know, a snack, if we always do those things, then over time you start to think that that's how your body is supposed to feel and you don't think that it's bad anymore. You don't you don't realize that your thinking is a little bit cloudy and you don't realize that you feel kind of sluggish and you, and you think it's normal to feel tired after you eat and you think it's normal that a big meal will make you sort of want dessert and you think that's supposed to be the way it is. And we'll talk about why those things are all not true later on. But basically, once you spend even just a couple of days not doing that stuff, then all of a sudden, if you add one thing back in, you can then study the effect of that one thing on how you feel and how you think and how you move. And I can tell you from that that experience of two different fasts now of more than 24 hours or more, and then just having... And I'm not talking about a whole giant pizza. I'm talking about like two slices of pepperoni pizza, thin crust pepperoni pizza from Pizza Hut. I 
have trouble taking my wedding ring off this morning because my hand is a little bit swollen and it's a little bit swollen because whatever was in that pizza, sodium, chemicals, bread, whatever it is, affected my body chemistry to the point that my hands are swollen. I didn't have anything else bad. I didn't have any sugar. I didn't have dessert. I didn't have extra bread. I didn't have dipping sauce. I didn't have, you know, alcohol. I didn't have anything except water and two slices of pizza. And that's what the effect is on my on my hand. And so I'm paying a tomorrow tax today, Julie, for the food choice that I made yesterday. Now here this is a long story, but here's why I'm saying this to you. If you if you're in that today, if you're waking up today and you're saying, Holy cow, I did it again. I've got this XYZ and I'm gonna have to deal with it today. Here's what you need to do. First If you did something that hurt another person, you need to get apply pressure on that wound and stop the bleeding. You need to make the phone call, send the email, go visit the person in person and say, hey, I really screwed up yesterday and I am really sorry. I I said something to you I shouldn't have said. I didn't say something I should have said. You need to go and try to make it right because if you address a wound when it's fresh, you have the best chance of cleaning it up, preventing it from getting infected and helping it to heal. But if you let it fester and you just try to ignore it or you hope it'll go away, it's not going to go away. If you try to, if you hope that it'll stop on its own, it won't. And I've learned, my friend Mike Leonard is a tremendous neurosurgeon in San Antonio. We were partners in the Air Force. And he had this thing that he called Leonard's Law. And it was when you're on call, do the thing that that's, he would say sucks the most. Do the thing that's the hardest. Do the thing that's least convenient first and it'll save you time every time in the end and his point was when the er calls you or somebody consults you to go up and see a patient if you grouse about it and decide not to do it or you put it off till tomorrow inevitably tomorrow there's going to be an emergency case and it'll delay and you won't get that consult done and you'll get in trouble you, you'll you'll have a patient that's mad at you or a referring doctor that's upset with you or you'll end up in the er all day long because the problem you could have solved easily yesterday is now much harder to solve and so leonard's law turns out to be true you do the thing that seems the hardest or seems the most distasteful in the short term and almost always turns out to be better for you in the end. Does that make sense? It's true. So if you're dealing with that tomorrow tax, the first thing is take care of business as soon as you can. Make amends. Try to unwind the problem. You know, if you're dealing with a hangover because you drank something you shouldn't have drank, do something to make that feel better and make sure you don't put yourself in a position where that decision you made yesterday is going to mess today up even more like if you're not ready to deal with it you need to take some time and get better before you go to work and underperform and get in trouble then take a sick day and i'm not advocating that but i'm just saying do something to make sure that you limit the damage from today forward based on what happened yesterday okay the second thing is to make sure that you learn from this experience to try to help you not experience it again. One thing Kevin Miller said in this book, that What Drives You, that I'm going to talk to you about on Friday, that I thought was really innovative, and I hadn't heard anybody say it like that before. He said when he studies people who have undergone some kind of big life change, that they had a, a bad childhood and they turned themselves into really productive adults, or they had a bad relationship and they saved it, or they you know turned it around or found a new life, all those things. One thing that happens is, he said that it's kind of a consistent thing that he hears from people that they they stop saying, gosh, I would be so much happier if 
I could do X, Y, or Z. If I had this much money, if I had married that certain person, if I had this job, or if I finally make it to the NFL, or if I if I can do X, Y, or Z. And then over time, those aspirations become demotivating because we don't see a path forward to getting them. And that's the, the research and science behind hope. There's been tons of articles and tons of good scientific research looking at what makes people hopeful. And the two things that are consistent are agency and pathway. So do you have the potential ability within you or in your world to make that type of change happen? Are you able to do it? That's agency. Is there a possibility that you can do it? And then is there a pathway where you actually will do it? Is there a viable path that you can take? So not is it just your body able enough or your mind is strong enough or you have enough finances or resources or whatever to, to go after it, but that you can actually plot a chart, plot and chart a path forward to have a pathway to get there. Those two things create hope, agency and pathways. And I've told you memory and movement are the key elements in terms of biblical hope and, and spiritual hope. And that's, that's true. And we'll talk about that much more in terms of my book coming out soon. But what Kevin said is people who focus on all this stuff that they feel like they have to get or want to get or need to get or or must get in order to be happier almost never get that because it becomes demotivating over time and they drink or they do something else to numb themselves to the fact that they're not achieving their goals. But what happens is when he sees people that actually pull it off, they often say the negative, the, the flip side of that. Here's what I don't want anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to be unable to take my wedding ring off when I wake up. I don't want to have my spouse leave me because I was unfaithful again and when I promised I would not be. I don't want to, you know, develop alcoholic cirrhosis, so I need to stop drinking today so 20 years from now I don't have that. I don't want X, Y, or Z to occur, and so I'm going to look for ways to make that not happen. And that turns out to be more motivating. And it's not a negative thing. It's to say, like Job said, like God said in Job thirty-eight eleven, when he he said to Job, "Do you know how to tell the ocean where to stop? Like, do you, are you the one that says this far and no farther? This is where your proud waves stop. Like, that's what we have to get to. When we look at this thing in our life that keeps causing us to have to pay the tomorrow tax, and we say this far and no farther, I am done paying the tomorrow tax for this thing. And so you wake up today and you've done it again, Julie." or whoever's listening that that needs to hear this, you first say, I need to do what I can to fix this. I need to do what I can to put pressure on this wound and limit the damage that I'm having to, to deal with. And number three, I need to make a decision this far and no farther. Now, will you slip up again? Probably. But you can start making some decisions around the flip side of instead of, gosh, I would love to wake up every day and feel great and go for a 20-mile run and do a 1,000 push-ups and lose weight and become an Instagram influencer and win the lottery and, and get promoted and, and you know all that stuff. I love that. But the fact is most of those things aren't really going to happen. And what you really want is incremental change towards your goal of transforming your life. That's what you really want. And the way to do that is to stop creating unforced errors and to stop shooting yourself in the foot and to make some decisions that you do not want to feel particular things anymore. Now, I read an article about obesity. I'm, I'm preparing this this concept, this this idea of what happens in, biochemically in our brains and our bodies when we fast and when we get food choices better. And in the obesity literature, there's something called that, that they're teaching people now to re-engineer the food environment. 
re-engineer the food environment. And that's the problem I ran into yesterday when I opened the fridge and there was only pizza in there. I needed to re-engineer my food environment. A better choice would have been for me on the way home from the hospital would have been to stop at, at Super Gary's. We, we have a grocery store here called Gary's Superfoods. And Lisa and I, when we first moved here, she called it Super Gary's once. And that's so now we now call it Super Gary's. So if you are at Super Gary's, if you work there, if you own it, shout out to you. We love your store and we shop at Super Gary's and we're proud that we've got two Super Gary's locations here in North Platte, Nebraska. So it's Gary's Superfoods, but we call it Super Gary's. And so anyway, I should have stopped at Super Gary's and I should have bought something healthy. I should have bought a bag of salad or, you know, something, some, something I could put on the grill or, or something. And I should have had, I should have re-engineered my food environment. That pizza should have been in the, in the garbage. No, no, uh, negativity towards Pizza Hut. I love it, but it's not good for me. And as I've gotten a little older, I realize it's not good for my body. It makes my hands swell up. And as a surgeon, like I need my hands to be like super, you know, ready to go. And I'm not saying it's it's this horrible swelling you can see. I'm just telling you my wedding ring feels tighter. And the only change was I added that piece of pizza that had salt all over it and, you know, inside it and all that pepperoni and all that chemical and all that whatever's in there. Who knows what's in it, right? So I should have made a better choice. I should have re-engineered my food environment, and that would have helped me to eliminate or avoid the tomorrow tax of feeling bad for what I ate the night before. Re-engineer the food environment. Now, a few days ago, we did an episode where we talked about the horse trainer that said, make the, make the wrong thing hard and make the right thing easy. Make the bad thing hard, make the good thing easy. And the old comedian Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. He would Something would happen, and he would say, oh, the devil made me do it. Well, listen, the devil did not make me eat that pepperoni pizza. The devil didn't make me place the order and have it delivered. The devil didn't make me do those things. I did those things. And the reason I ate that pizza yesterday was because I was too lazy to go to the store and buy something healthier and prepare it, and it was in my refrigerator. Is it one thing that is true, and it's probably true for you too, is it's not likely that you're going to get in the car at 7 o'clock at night and drive somewhere to purchase something that's bad for you. But if it's in your refrigerator right in front of you, you may very well grab it and eat it to satisfy that short-term hunger or short-term thing that you're feeling. You might. But if you re-engineer your food environment, and you spend a little bit of work putting something in front of you that's going to be healthy, then it'll be easier to make a healthy choice, right? Make the wrong thing hard and the right thing easy. That's the third step is just getting this tomorrow tax under control. You say this far and no farther and making decisions and then building systems and habits to help yourself achieve the goal of not having to pay the tomorrow tax anymore. So instead of saying, gosh, I'd really love to wake up tomorrow morning and be the perfect you know, example of myself in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's great, but it's not likely to happen unless you do some work to prepare your life and build your environment so that it's more easy, it's easier for you to be successful in those goals. Here's one more example. I told you the other day, that I'm getting in this habit where I put my workout clothes on the first thing I do in the morning so that I have one more barrier removed for me to go work out. It's like when it's time for me to go, like there's, there's a go time with my day job. I've got to be there at a certain time on surgery days, especially my surgery starts at seven. I've got to be there by six thirty to see the patient and mark the, mark the site and do the history and physical update in the computer and all that paperwork and scrub my hands and all that stuff so we can start surgery on time. So I have an absolute drop dead go time if i'm gonna out work out for an hour 
I got to be out to the shop by 5 a.m. And if I'm not, then I've got either not enough time to get the workout in that I want to get in or I'm going to be late to work, which is unacceptable. So in order for me to remove barriers to help me achieve the goal of being in the gym by a certain time, I need to have those workout clothes on when I first wake up, right? Does that make sense? So I put success in my way, as my old friend Rob Hatch used to say. Well, a couple of days ago, I got a, a plastic bin, one of those bins out that I intended to go through my drawers and, and downgrade some stuff and, and give some stuff away to Goodwill and try to, to try to go through some clothes that I don't wear anymore. You know, one of the things I was going to try to do while Lisa was out of town was to, to sort of downsize my possessions around clothes that I don't need anymore. And so we've been moving around for a few years and we just collected a whole bunch of stuff that I don't ever wear and don't need. So I had this stuff in a bin and I had it in front of our bed on the floor, which is close to our dresser. And I remember I said to myself, hey, you need to move that because tomorrow morning when you get up, it's going to be dark and you're going to walk right into it because it's on the path from my bed where I get up to the bathroom where I go and, and then into the kitchen. And sure enough, I'm walking out of the bathroom and back towards the kitchen, and I ran right smack into that bin and struck my shin on it. And so the first thing this morning, like I've been awake for three and a half minutes, I'm dealing with almost falling down and banging my shin against this box that is my fault because I didn't re-engineer my floor environment. I left something in my way, right? I left something in my way that impeded me and made it harder for me to get from point A to point B than I needed to get to. And that's a good example of what what the Hebrew writer was talking about in Hebrews 12 when he says, cast off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. He says, get rid of stuff that is holding you down and slowing you down. That box wasn't sinful. It wasn't a sin for that box to be there. It was harmful to me, nevertheless. It was an impediment. It was t- entangling me. It was disenabling me. Is that a word? Disenabling? <laughs> it, was, it was holding me back from getting where I needed to be. It was a stumbling stone. It was a, a block in my way. And that's the example for us today. Get stuff out of your way. Re-engineer your environment to limit the possibility that you'll have to pay a tomorrow tax tomorrow. That makes sense? If you have Pizza Hut app on your phone, take your credit card out of it so that you have to manually enter it. So that'll be one little thing to remind you that, hey, this is this is a decision I'm making right now. Is it really the best one for me? And maybe that'll put a little a little stop in there for you. Maybe that, you know, instead of keeping a wine refrigerator with 100 bottles of wine in, it in your house, maybe don't. Maybe make a decision not to become a collector of wine if you drink it too much. And maybe say, okay, out at dinner once in a while we can have a glass of wine, but do I really need to have 100 bottles of wine in my house? Because what's going to happen is when you make a decision that you don't want to drink alcohol anymore, there's going to come a day that you have a rough time at work or a fight with your spouse or you're grieving over something, and you're going to say, gosh, a glass of wine would really help me right now relax so I can sleep better. It'll make my stomach feel better. It'll make me not as as, uh, feeling as bad about this thing. And you're going to make a decision to engage in that behavior because it's in your refrigerator. But if it's not in your refrigerator, most normal people are not going to drive to the store and buy something that they don't already have in order to satisfy that thing. They'll just do something different. They'll go for a walk or do some push-ups or watch TV or, or pray or read or something, and that, that 
drive to have the thing will pass eventually. So just re-engineer your environment. And that I think that makes sense. Does that help you? So say it with me. Fix what you broke. Put some pressure on the wound and limit the damage. Make a decision this far and no farther. Re-engineer your environment and make a decision to change your mind and change your life and stop paying the tomorrow tax because you love tomorrow more. You love tomorrow more and you want tomorrow to be full of every promise that God has for you. And you want to stop taking yourself out of the game. And you want to make sure that since it's not coming for you, and it's not going to happen to you, you're going to happen to it. And you're going to make these changes because you want to change your mind and change your life. And you want to start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery. Dr. Lee Warren substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarnmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.